The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where each and every week we work our fingers to the bone to bring you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. Now, on today's show, we're going to do something a little bit different than the usual strategy market, how to find deals, whatever, but It's an important thing that we're doing today, which is that we are going to talk to a series of three different people, uh, who we, who, uh, we would, we would, we would use the word endure to describe these people. These are people who have acquired enough assets that they don't have to work anymore and they don't have to do deals anymore. Although I think all three of them still do do deals. If they stopped right now, their passive income would exceed what they needed to live the lives they want to live. And we're going to ask them all one question, which is, what would you have done differently? What mistake did you make that you, that you, in looking back on it, wish you had not made? This is an important question that y'all should be asking anybody that you run into whose real estate investment career you admire. And we're going to start with Bill Cook, who is joining us by phone, I assume, from his home in Georgia. Although, who knows with any of these guys where they are at any given moment. And Bill, the reason we are starting with you is because this is actually your question. The first time I ever heard someone say you should be asking people this question, it was you who said it. So, Yeah. I said there's a series of three questions, and I was going to the wise real estate investors who are around me um, who had been doing it for a while, and I asked three questions. What did you do right? What did you do wrong? And what didn't you do that you wished you would have done? And that gave me a direction when I was a baby real estate investor of where I need to be focusing my 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 thoughts, my energy as an investor. Mm-hmm. And if you if you know anybody who asks this question and actually bothers to listen to the answers <laughs> and ask them of a lot of a lot of different people might find themselves able to avoid a lot of the side trails that people take during their real estate careers that you know they look back on and go man if i hadn't distracted myself with that thing for 2 years i would be way ahead of where i am now so bill the question is to you 
what you can okay. you, you can answer you know what did you do wrong what what's the biggest mistake that you made what would you what would you tell someone who had asked you that middle question well gotta well, add one thing first it's also important you ha- who you ask the questions of so I was very particular who I went to they were the really good investors that were down in the Tampa St. Pete area a couple other places too but boy go to those good good people and you're I mean, your calls would get better and better today because you got Jer Bear and you got Bob Dressman, and they're these are the people you ask these questions of. They're just geniuses. And uh, go to your question you asked me is what did you what I'm going to answer the question this way. What didn't uh, what didn't I do that I wished I would have done? What call maybe call it the biggest mistake, the biggest thing I didn't do. And I thought a lot about that today when you asked me this morning, and without a doubt. During 2008, 9, 10, and 11, I wished out about 10 more three-bedroom, two-bath, two-car garage brick ranches. Because, you know, you know, and I know we, we could have bought those things at 40 to 50, 60 dollars a square foot all day long. Good homes, non-rental neighborhoods, you know, perfect, perfect rental houses forever. And I was scared and I was confused and I lacked vision to believe in, hey, the, the market's going to come back, and of course people will need homes. Biggest mistake I ever made was that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid, now that you've said that, I'm afraid that might be the same answer that the other two people give, because I think a lot of us who lived through that market, that is our thing, that that we wished we had been more prepared going in, right? Because, I mean, part of the problem was there was no money available to buy houses. So so either we mm-hmm. needed we needed to have a, a good little cadre of, uh, you know, brave private lenders, or we needed to have cash laid aside, or we needed to be really good at creative financing because there were a lot of sellers who would assign the title over to you if you just promised to pay the mortgage and nothing else. Like, they didn't want anything else. So a little bit of it was lack of preparation, but I think that thing about fear of the market cycles. Unknown. Yeah, just fear of unknown. And I just, I kicked myself in the tail, you know, and Kim was kind of pushing me. You know, she was like, you know, we need to get into storage unit. Let's get some of these rentals. And it was me that was holding us back. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things we've done right in our career, but there's a couple, there was a couple of paws, and that was the biggest one. I think you're right. There's a lot of us. Uh, you know, good question. How many how many downturns have you been through, uh, Vina? Well, just that one giant one, but we have little ones every six or yeah. seven years, except for this last six or seven years. But it looks like a little one could be coming. And so what's, what's the lesson to learn? So, you know, a lot of us did not really take advantage of the big one. So what should we be doing during the little ones? Mm-hmm. Ramping Charging up. forward. Yep, ramping up yep. when other people are ramping up. Moving down. at when everybody, when everybody else, when you see realtors backing out because it's hard to get sales because of the interest rate and lack of inventory, and you see investors maybe move into the sidelines, this is when we as investors should be charging forward. And especially, you know, you're, you're so great at teaching all the creative sides of investing, especially with creative financing. You know, understand how to use those tools so you can make these deals work, even in trying times when the banks aren't lending. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so if you had done that, if you had acquired ten additional, because I know you did acquire some properties during yes. that time frame. If you had, and you had a very specific number, you said I, I should have gotten ten more. 
How would your life be different today if you'd gotten 10 more? I think I would feel safer. Um, I, As I've gotten older, because I'm 63 now, and I think as I've watched a number of my real estate investment heroes, they're getting older. It's really causing me to think that in 10 years I'll be where they are. And I think the relevate, relevate, rev, revelation I've had over the last year is I always put so much value into houses and, you know, the loans and, you know, having that cash flow coming in. And I did not value enough time and health. And I'm in good health. I mean, I go out and exercise every day and all that, but I am going to, I've really started focusing on time and health as the two most valuable things I have. And I remember hearing someone recently say, you know, let's say you're a very wealthy man at 75 years old, but you have bad health and maybe, you know, a couple years to live, what would you trade to buy another five years of healthy life? And the answer is probably everything. So that means the stuff isn't nearly as important as time and good health. Mm -hmm. So the focus has to be, how do I use my time wisely? And the second thing is, how do I stay really healthy? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you had those extra 10 houses, you would feel like you did not need to, to be doing anything right now to financially at all. So you could put more time, more focus on your time and your health. Is that the connection? No, I, I, we don't. We don't need any more houses because what we have in houses and notes and options, we're, we're good. We're good, but it's that little voice in the back of your head that we all have, and God knows it haunts me. Is you know, if I just had another ten, you know, your dad was great at this. You know, we just need another one. You know, just let's just do one more. Pete's great at this. Just let's just, just get one more. And I don't want to get too many, but I just saw, especially when I sold so many properties in sixteen and seventeen, I didn't sell any of my A properties. And to have 10 more A properties right now would make me feel more comfortable. Mm -hmm. And you would have bought them at exactly the right time. And even though Uh at that moment you were probably looking at them going, but they don't cash flow enough because rents have gone down too and they don't cash flow enough. And you didn't put the focus on, yeah, but what will it look like in 10 years? Yeah, because those houses back then were renting for eight to $900 a month. And today they rent for between $1,800 and $2,200 a month. Mm-hmm. That was that was the mistake, and it would have been easy to pay off because we could have bought those houses for eighty or eighty-five thousand dollars, and today they'd be worth two fifty to three fifty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think the lesson here is when mar- when markets are changing, which they always are, but sometimes they change in um, more rapid ways <laughs> than others. Uh, don't. Don't get sidelined because that's going to be something that you look back on and regret later in all likelihood. So true. All right. Okay. Thank you for your time today, Bill. Appreciate you. And No, thank you. Vina, thank you for all that you do. You've been doing this radio show for about 3,000 years, and it's helped so many people, and you work so stinking hard to help and educate. Thank you for all that you do. We just all greatly appreciate it. You're very welcome, and thank you for the idea for today's show. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. The topic today is what we're talking to people who are, who they they all have businesses and bank statements that y'all would like to have. I promise you that much. And we're talking to them and asking the question, looking back on your real estate investing business slash career, 
What is the thing you wish you had not done during that time? What mistake did you make? What path did you go down that you shouldn't have gone down? And of course, the whole purpose here is the lesson for you listeners. So listen closely. I have no idea what these folks are going to say, but I have a feeling that um, you will learn a lot. So we'll be back right after this break. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Fina Jones-Cox. And today we, by which I mean I, you know, so I haven't given out the phone number, even though we are live today because we're not really taking questions because the whole, the whole thrust of this entire show is I managed to line up three people who have been extraordinarily successful in various aspects of real estate investing to ask them on your behalf the same question, which is, what do you wish you had done differently? Uh, my next guest is Bob Dressman, frequent uh, guest here on Real Life Real Estate Investing, going all the way back to its beginning in the late 90s. Uh, Bob has had a varied career that has at different times involved rentals, rehabs, a little bit of wholesaling, and... Uh, has now largely moved into the private lending space. Uh, he's a local guy here to Cincinnati, and he is also joining us by phone. Bob, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Uh, hi there. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? I'm fabulous. Excellent. So you already know what the question is. I don't know what your answer is going to be, but you already know what the question is, and that is... Looking back, if you were if you were standing at a RIA meeting and somebody you had like, you know, five minutes before they were going to throw us out of the hotel and somebody said, what's the biggest thing you wish you had done differently? What would your answer be? It would be that I stayed I started my career in low income properties because that's what I could afford to buy at the time. And I thought that I would make more money in that stuff over the long run. But I, what I should have done is use that as an entree and started to trade up to better stuff. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I found over the years that once I finally got around to doing that, I actually made better money in the so middle to middle upper end of real estate. Mm-hmm. And uh, just I looked at it in a spreadsheet versus what the real numbers end up being. And I missed out on a lot of appreciation and growth um, mm-hmm. uh, and made my life a lot harder than it needed it to be by staying in that very lower end of the segment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So so let's unpack that a little because I'm just picturing that that there's a bunch of people listening going, well, that's good for him. He can afford upper end properties because he's been doing this for 30 years. I can't, you know, looking around at my city, all I can afford is class C and D properties. So great advice. I can't possibly do it. <laughs> looking, looking back with what you know now, could you have started in the more middle and high end properties? And if not, could you have, you said, you, you said the word traded, you said traded my lower income ones into higher incomes. Could you have done that sooner? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the more, you know, when I first got started, I didn't realize all the techniques that were out there. 
in terms of owner financing and, you know, partnering with other people who had different skills and assets than I did at the time and wanted different things. And, you know, in hindsight, that's real easy to do. But at the time, it's like, okay, well, this is all I have the money for, so this is what I'm going to buy. And so, you know, I could have just approached things differently or uh, and used different techniques. Or uh, alternately, I could have just bought a low-income property, developed some equity in it, and then did a 1031 into a property that was a step up from there. And just when you buy something at a discount, every time you buy and trade, you end up with more property and less debt relative to the value of the property. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So to be clear on that on that thing you said about trading up, it's not that, and I, I'm going to use numbers from <laughs> the, the early 90s, um, when you say trading up, you're not saying, okay, I bought a $60,000 house, but I bought it at a discount, so it was really an $80,000 house. And I'm somehow going to trade that $80,000 house and get a $160,000 house. You mean using the equity in that property to leverage into a, into a $160,000 house? Like, I'm going to have this cash coming out. Yeah, that you know, the, if you buy that... $80,000 house that you pay that you have 60 in and then it depreciates to 90, you know, then you have 30 worth of equity. And then maybe at that point you can put 90, you can buy that $120,000 house for 90 and you're, you know, at that point you have $60,000 worth of equity. Mm-hmm. And you or, used yeah, and you used the thirty that came out of sale of the first house to put a down payment on that next house. It's not that you like got correct. the next house yeah. at that at the same price that you sold the old house because it is a better right. house. Yeah, and 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 you're just sort of compounding your gains and you know getting more property but not having a ton more debt mm-hmm. because as as you move up the scale, the um, rent that you get relative to the price of the house goes down somewhat, but you probably tend to get more appreciation over time Mm -hmm. and your life becomes easier with easier people to deal with that are Mm -hmm. more respectful of your property. Well, and let's, and let's talk about that because I, I can, I can still to this day prove to you on a spreadsheet that, what is now, so a low-income house in Cincinnati is still, it's going to be a $120,000 house, okay? And it's going to, it's mm-hmm. going to rent for thirteen, fourteen hundred a month. I can still prove to you on a spreadsheet that that house makes more than a $250,000 house that only rents for $1,800 a month. So where's the, where's the disconnect there? Like why, why, why does, why does the cheaper house that makes more money actually not make as much as the more expensive house that makes less money because the assumptions that you have to use about your maintenance and turnover expenses are very different as a percentage of the rent from the lower income house to the middle to upper income house Mm -hmm. Um, just uh, sort of as you move up you can frequently get tenants that just take care of the house rather than have 
tenants that are actively destroying the house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because of that, and, you know, if you have a, a 1,200-square-foot house that's worth 90 and a 1,200-square-foot house that's worth 120, your maintenance expense might be the same dollars for both houses, but as a percentage of your rent goes down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I like to tell people, uh, you know, unfortunately, a roof costs the same on a 1,200-square-foot house in a D area as it does on a 1,200-square-foot house in an A area. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's not like you're putting on a different roof. It's the same amount, but on the cheaper house, of course, you're getting a much it, it 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 might take you three years of your profit to pay for that roof in the in the lower end house, and not so much on in the higher end house. So, what would you in? So you you said what you would have done differently. What would have allowed you to know that earlier? In other words, what what the the, the it sounds like the missing piece here was just your knowledge and understanding. Of both well, of both well, ways to acquire those houses when you didn't feel like you had any money, and also of how to run the numbers. So, so who could how could somebody have intervened with twenty five year old Bob and said, "Wait, wait, wait! Well, before you do this." <laughs> well, I, when I was twenty five years old, I thought I was way smarter than I was, and uh, you know, thought that I was going to set the world on fire and nobody was going to step in my way and I didn't spend enough time listening to the other people that were around and I didn't really spend enough time talking to them and asking other people okay so what have you done and what has worked and what hasn't worked for you Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, so I should have talked less and listened more is sort of the ultimate moral of that story I think we could all probably stand to do that, <laughs> even even yeah. even today. So, yes, all right. So appreciate that, Bob. And I hope listeners who are who are in that position are going. But but I can only I want rentals, but I can only afford cheap ones. Uh, have taken it to heart about maybe learn about ways that you don't have to have enough. You don't have to have a ton of money to buy the more expensive ones. And maybe cut cut that first stage completely out, or if you're already there, start actively seeing like how could I take maybe two of the cheap houses I own and sell them in exchange into a more expensive house that's going to get me more benefits over the long run. That would do them a world of good. <laughs> I appreciate your time, Bob. Thank you so much. Okay. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today to people who, let, let's say they have the benefit of experience. Some of that experience, obviously positive, or they would not be where they are today. Some of that experience, uh, I don't know, I think we've all had uh, these fantasies of, if I got a time machine, everybody else says I'd go meet Einstein I'd go meet Jesus, I'd go meet Helen Keller, but I think a lot of experienced real estate investors, their fantasy is more along the lines of, I would go back and give myself a talking to when I was early on in my career 
And we're trying to give you the benefit of that uh, experience today. We're going to take another quick break. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Talking today to folks who have, they haven't reached the end of the line because the whole purpose of being an ender is then you get to follow your passions and do what you want to do and not have to worry about money or working or doing more deals. And those are the type of folks I have rounded up for you today for the purpose of asking a single question to each of them, which is what would you, what do you wish you had done differently? My next guest, also a frequent guest here on Real Life Real Estate for decades in a row, uh, Mr. Jerry Fink, um, partially of Cincinnati, partially these days of Florida. He escapes uh, Cincinnati during the cold winter months and lives in his uh, home in uh, Florida and also has had kind of a, a varied career most of the time. Uh, has been a rental property owner, has also done a lot of rehab resales, a little bit of, um, a little bit of wholesaling and is currently, uh, very, very glad that he bought an apartment building <laughs> about, uh, 10, 12 years ago at the, when they were cheap, as, as Bill said, that, uh, he actually bought properties while the, the downturn was going on. And uh, Jerry is also joining us by phone. Jerry, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thank you, Vienna. You're so welcome. Oh, and and by the way, Jerry has a cold. He's not he's not grumpy. He has he has a cold, and he was good enough to come yes, on. Yes, I do. <laughs> come on the show anyway. Um, so, Jerry, you know the question. Looking back on all these years, because you've actually been doing this way longer than I have. Is there something that you would say to someone that this is the this is the thing I wish I had done differently? Well, you know what's so funny about this question is you think I've only done one thing wrong. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> but uh, you know, in the spirit of what we're talking about today, I would say that the the biggest mistake that I made was when I first went into real estate full time back in uh, two thousand three. I got involved in a partnership. Now, one thing I want to make sure we kind of discuss through this is the difference between having partners and having a partnership. So there's a big difference there. I want to make sure we, we kind of talk about that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you look back and it's, you know, why do you want to do a partnership? And I think there are a lot of things that come into mind. Uh, one of them is it, it, it looks easy, right? You don't know what you don't know yet. You're afraid of what you're going to come across, you know, as you go down this road. So it's easy to just find somebody else that has a, you know, a kindred spirit, if you will, to kind of share the journey with. And I think that's how a lot of us end up getting into partnerships. Mm-hmm. And the, the problem with that is a, a good partnership, you bring different things to the table. For instance, somebody who has the money, right? Somebody who has uh, business knowledge, somebody who has construction knowledge, et cetera, et cetera, um, it is possible to create a good long-term partnership if you are bringing different skill sets mm-hmm. to the, to the uh, party. The The issue is that most of us, when we first form these partnerships, it's really just a, a, a marriage of convenience, if you will. You know, we're two people basically at the same 
same point, and um, you know why don't we why don't we do this together? Mm-hmm. So I you know I know that you're very familiar with with mine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know we we were in Rio. Um, he and I had worked together before in, in a former life and ran into each other at Rio, and you know we're both doing this. Let's let's do it together. So we did, and for you know the first couple years. Um, it, it went well. We did we did a lot of properties. Uh, you know, did some things right, did some things wrong, made some money, and then we got to that point where most partnerships do that. Uh, you got to the point where each of us felt that the other one was not pulling their weight. Right. Mm-hmm. So we got into that situation, and you know the the whole relationship kind of soured. And you know, it, um, I tell people that my my business divorce was 10 times harder than my actual divorce. Mm-hmm. You know, it took um, three years and, and the, you know, the loss of a, a friendship. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I would have to say, you know, on the surface, that's, that's probably the biggest mistake that I made. Yeah. And, and, and like you, I'm, I'm always trying to walk the line between warning people about partnerships without putting them off of partners because I I think that uh, what you had was what I what I call a split the work partnership. Right. We're we're, we're both kind of good at the same thing. I mean, you guys had some complementary skill sets. Like you were a CPA. Right. And so you know you were you were really good with the back end books and numbers and whatnot. But right. and he was a good salesman. And right. and so you know from just that perspective it was fine. But you guys shared whose job it was to go in today and work on the house. <laughs> like, like there weren't clear lanes about right. n- no, this is your part. If you can't, if you can't work it out, I'm happy to consult, but it's your job to get it done. And this is my lane right. and ditto. And as I recall, there wasn't a bunch of discussion up front that resulted in a bunch of paperwork that would have made the divorce easier because it would have outlined when everybody was still happy right. what was to happen yeah, if people a, got unhappy. That's a huge point, <laughs> is if you are going to go into a partnership, make sure you you have, you know, nothing is ironclad, but you, you need to have a good understanding of what, you know, what the rules are. Um, one of the hardest things really is, you know, the, the buyout agreement. Um, mm-hmm. When you get, you know, when it does dissolve, which you know most of these do eventually, what's the what's the criteria around the buyout? And you know the best the best one that I've seen um, there is uh, one or the other of you put something on the table, and it's the other person's uh, choice of uh, which side of the which side of the coin are they going to take. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll, I'll buy you out and you go away, or you can buy me out and I'll go away. And it's the other person's choice on which which one they want to do. Okay, That's so the best best so, example I've seen. So 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 like it just says in the partnership agreement, if one of us gets unhappy, they can go home and calculate what equity they think is here, and then say, mm-hmm. "I will give you X dollars for your half of what I think the mm-hmm. equity is." But then the other person gets to say. Yes, you can buy me out, or no, I'm going to buy you out. At that price. At that number. Right. So, you know, it's kind of the Pink Solomon thing, right? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, you, you got to make sure that you are willing to do either side. 
mm-hmm. of of the deal that you set out there. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe not no partners, know, because I I know yeah. you've gotten into at least one other partnership since then. Oh yeah, <laughs> that I think has been yeah. pretty successful. Right, and the way that I look, the way that I look at at those is it is not a it is not a business partnership where in you know both of us are in this a hundred percent from each side and everything that we do will be done under the partnership. Mm-hmm. The other ones that I'm involved in are what I think of as deal partnerships. Mm-hmm. In other words, there is a specific deal, and you know you and I go into business on this particular deal, right? And we, again, have to lay out all the the groundwork and everything. But if it doesn't work out between you and I, we don't ever have to do another one together. We Mm -hmm. just choose not to do one, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's the the big difference. Um, The other thing that, that comes into play there is, again, why do you need that other person? And there are, there are very valid, um, reasons to have partners in deals. You know, there are primarily three pieces, right? There's the there's money, there's time, and there's expertise are kind of the three big things um, that you need to be able to pull a deal off. So let's use expertise for a minute. Um, I don't need to have um, an attorney on my deal team, right? I need to have them as a, a uh, trusted resource that I hire to do a specific job for this particular deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need them as a partner, right? But um, if somebody's bringing, you know, the money to the table, I brought the deal, they bring the money, we put together something, you know, some sort of an equity sharing or something like that, mm-hmm. that is very valid, right? Mm-hmm. But again, it's for that deal. It is not for everything that I or he or she ever does again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's... You and know, and it's it's because one in that example you gave one of the people has a resource that the other one doesn't and vice versa. Exactly. <laughs> one person has money and no deal, and the other one has a deal and no money. <laughs> so exactly. it it exactly. that kind of thing, you know, especially still paperwork, still discussion, still you know what if what if what if what if. But mm-hmm. um, it doesn't feel like a divorce when it's over because, as you said, it's that one deal. You know, if we if we can't agree on whatever, we can sell it. We can buy each other out, and there's not sixteen other deals stacked up behind it. Right. And the hurt yeah, feelings. And another thing, another thing that comes into play there is the the liability side of having a partnership. And most people don't really understand this. If you have just a general partnership, um, you and I are in a general partnership, and you out go out and get wasted and have a car accident and, you know, the results are not good for the other party, I am dragged in to that because we are general partners. And any lawsuit or anything that would come from that accident, I'm going to get dragged into, and my assets could potentially be lost, you know, in in that lawsuit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's some things like that that you really have to be careful about when you you go into, you know, a, a business partnership, a general partnership. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I don't think a lot of people understand that side of it either. Very, very true. Okay, Jerry, that's that's good advice and and well balanced. Not well, thank not, you. Not no partnerships. Just <laughs> think through why you're doing right. it, how you're setting it up, and what happens. And do the paperwork. <laughs> yes. What happens yeah. at the end if it yeah. turns out not to work well? 
All right. Okay. I appreciate you. Um, we're going to take another quick break. Um, talking today about, uh, talking today about, uh, what experienced investors would do. And I just realized we're at like, uh, we've got like eight minutes left and no other experienced investor <laughs> to talk to. So, um, I guess, I guess, Jerry, after the break, you can ask me. (laughs) (laughs) I've never, I've never, I've never been in this, I've never been in this situation where it's like, we've got extra time. That never happens. It's usually, I look up at the clock and it's, okay, so we'll take a break and then Jerry and I'll switch positions and I'll tell you the thing that I wish I had done differently, which I will think of during the break. Uh, welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your guest, Vina Jones-Cox, and your host for the next seven minutes is Mr. Jerry Fink. <laughs> Hello, Vina, and welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you, Jerry. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> All right, so it's our, our turn to turn the tables on you. So you obviously have been around this game for a long, long time as well, and what what would you have done differently? What's the biggest mistake that you've made that's slowed down uh, your your growth pattern over all these years? So, you know, it, it was funny. As I, as I was listening to you guys, Bill and then Bob and then you, everything they said I was checking. <laughs> I was like, I did mm-hmm. that too. I did that too. You know, I had a bad yeah. partnership too. I didn't buy enough properties in, in uh, 20, 2008, 9, 10, 11 either. Um, so, you know, my brain's been a little affected by everything you guys have said, but the thing that, <laughs> the thing that, the thing that just kind of stuck out when I, when I thought, what would I tell somebody is I would have understood the power of a community and taken advantage of it earlier, like, 25 years earlier (laughs) than I did because I think when, when I, uh, the first thing I did when I got into real estate was join Cincinnati Rhea. That wasn't the problem. It wasn't that there wasn't, wasn't a group of people that knew more than I did and that I could go in and, you know, ask questions. And if I was stuck on something, I could, I could say, I remember, I remember going up to Dave Gee one day and saying, yeah. um, so I've got this property at 1735 Fairmount that I'm thinking about making an offer. And he said, don't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes the best deal is the one you don't make, right? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, what do you mean don't? And he's like, I've already seen it. It needs, you know, it needs a $40,000 foundation repair. The house is only worth 45000 fixed up. So, so like, you know, having access to that kind of knowledge was really great, but I didn't, I didn't really look at it as a community. I looked at it as a, it, it was very nice that this group had created this platform where I could show up a couple of times a month and learn something. And if I had a question, I could ask it. That, right. that, that was how I viewed it. Right. I didn't think of it as these are a whole bunch of people that can support me and that I can support. I mean, I was a brand new investor, so I, I couldn't, yeah, I didn't have money and I didn't have a bunch of deals, but you know, some of them needed, some of them needed a 22 year old who could run out and put signs in front of their houses for them that week. Cause they were super busy, super successful investors. And it never occurred to me 
to offer that kind of help, not because I wouldn't have been happy to do it, but because I didn't get it, that this is a community and everybody helps everybody, right? Yeah, let's dig into community here for a second. I I know, you know, what you've done over decades now in, in building the communities both in Cincinnati and Columbus. What what type of people, um, and, and I'm kind of going into the, you know, the starters, the builders, and the enders, what, what type of people coming in as a new investor, what kind of people are, are they going to need to create that community with? Well, actually, kind of everyone, you know, starters, mm-hmm. starters can, starters can help starters by, you know, sharing what knowledge they have, sharing what skills they have, and just more so just through encouragement, just through, oh man, I know what you're going through. I made 20 offers this week and none of them got accepted and it is frustrating, but you can do it. Right. And, and, and they can help each other by sharing their successes. I talked to, I talked to one the other day who was like, I told somebody the other day at the meeting that I had bought four properties and they were just like so excited about it. They wanted to take me out to lunch and I felt embarrassed. Like I was bragging and I was like, no, you were encouraging. You weren't bragging. But then like starters need estate builders because the estate builders have a whole lot more knowledge and more importantly, they've built their own teams of like contractors and attorneys and CPAs and that's something starters don't have. And starters need enders because that's where the real deep knowledge is. You know, not just how do I buy a house, but like how should you operate your business kind of knowledge. And of course the, the enders have money that the starters could use and that the estate builders could use. It's like, it's like a multi-way. Nobody should be separated from anybody. Everybody should be interacting with everybody. But I, I'll tell you a big, I think just knowing myself, a big chunk of why none of this was apparent to me is I'm an introvert. Right. And I felt like, I felt like if I were to walk up to somebody and say, um, so how can I help you? Like it would just, I just, you know, I just wouldn't have done that because talking to people was hard, but also I felt like I was bugging them. Right. You know, being a brand new investor. And now, you know, from, from the point of view of being in a different position, I'm like, boy, I wish half a dozen starters would ask me what I need them to do for me this week in return for something that I can offer them, you know? Right. So just, just right. under, just understanding that. And, and unfortunately it is just not the case that everybody has a really, a really good real estate association near them. People, people in Cincinnati are just super, super lucky that there's been generations of people building this. Um, right. But, 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 you know, go see, don't, don't like, don't say, Oh, you know, so there's probably not one here. No, go see, go look at the Rias in your, in your area and see what kind of feel it has, right? Are people open or are they, do they all seem to be like trying to be predators to each other? Um, right. And, and just, you know, even, even if, even if nobody else seems to be doing it, you can like personally build your own community there, right? Even if, even if the group itself isn't, doesn't seem to be one, you can personally build your own community by, Offering help, asking for help, um, having other people's backs as much as you can, and just having the ex- bringing people around you who clearly have your back, who are your, mm-hmm. you know, they may not be your financial partners, but they're at least your allies. You know, they want to see you succeed. So, yeah, if I had, you if I, a, a, another part I think that uh, kind of gets overlooked as far as the community that we have in our real estate groups is 
the the vendor members as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, those are some of those other people that you need on your team um, that can also give you incredible advice. You know, the the, the financial folks and you know the people who have insurance and all that sort of thing. Um, they're they're geared toward mm-hmm. us as investors, and, and I think and that kind of gets overlooked. They they know what they know what all the problems. If you just if you just go up and talk to those vendors and say so, tell me what the biggest mistake people make in insurance is. They've got stories <laughs> that will teach you. <laughs> they, right. they know exactly. stuff. So, yep, exactly. that's that's mine. Should have recognized the power of community way earlier than I did and taken advantage of it. And I think it would have cut my cut my real estate timeline in half. So, thanks for asking, Jerry. We are unfortunately out of time for real this time. So, (laughs) thank you very much. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. 